there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. So hello, you're very welcome to Your Politics, the RTE Politics Team Weekly Take on events from Leinster House, Sandra Hurley, Micheál Lahan, and presently Tommy Meskell with me, Anya Lawler, this Thursday. It's the final day of the Doyle term, but also with us, and hello, uh, it's Social Democrats leader Holly Cairns. Um, Holly, you're very welcome. Thanks Thank for joining so us. Um, I suppose let's kick it off with a general question. As this Doyle term wraps up, as party leader, what have been the issues that have struck you most that you've been raising at leaders' questions that have struck you in debates this term? When I reflect on 2023 as a whole, it's difficult not to also reflect on pre uh, going into the role of leadership. But that was kind of when we had a wrap on uh, the three different pieces of legislation on mother and baby homes that Maybe I'd worked come a little on. Bit closer to the mic um, there, yeah. That I'd worked on since the election. Um, so in terms of looking at the year as a whole, that does certainly spring to mind. Um, but obviously housing has dominated as well as um, everything that's going on in Gaza. And um, something that I've been bringing to leaders more and more is the issues around disability services in Ireland. Um, amongst loads of other things, they're the ones that stand out at this kind of end of year time and looking back on 2023. And as the year draws to a close, I mean, the news is dominated by this some are saying it's going to be an historic European Council meeting where you've got Hungary and the veto on accession and aid to Ukraine. Um, and at the same time here, you have the government, the cabinet deciding this week that the offer to Ukrainian refugees from Ireland will be changed. Yeah, and I think the fact that this discussion has been going on and we've had absolutely no information about what they're basing these decisions on is really worrying and now this is the last day the doll is going into recess but the two kind of reasons they're basing these decisions on are they're saying for one 30% of the people coming into the country are passing through other European countries we don't know if they're simply getting a connecting flight there is no direct flight to Ireland are they staying there for a long period of time are people coming here to be reunited with family we don't have any of that information um, and I've asked the Taoiseach to provide that information because we need to base this discussion on facts and they haven't yet. Uh, the other piece of information that they're basing this on is they're saying Ireland is disproportionately generous in terms of the things that we're providing to uh, people from Ukraine who are coming to Ireland. But the only piece of research I've seen done on this was from the Oireachtas Library and Research Services and there's a big health warning on the front of that to say it's really difficult to compare one country to another. For example, some countries have free public services. They've got free childcare. The cost of living is, I think, 40-something percent higher in Ireland than other countries. So there is no real way to compare these mm -hmm. kind of uh, benefits. And they've made this decision based on that. They're now being bandied around as facts. And I asked on first thing when the doll kicked off, off this week, I asked the Taoiseach to provide that information. He said that he would. It's Thursday now, the doll's going into recess and I haven't seen any of that information. So I think that is worrying because um, ultimately, what are we saying to people? We're basically, what they're basically saying is all of the things that they, you know, I think it's important actually to zoom out because to be fair to the minister, his plan when he went in was to abolish direct provision. And we had Catherine Day's report on that when the war broke out in Ukraine, that wasn't 
an option anymore. And I think that is something that he really wanted to do. However, we got another report from Catherine Day at that time. One of the recommendations was that we should build six reception centres, start that immediately and that they would complete, be completed by the end of 2023. No sign of them, no sign or sight of them. Also promised 700 modular homes. I think 204 have been delivered. And so instead of actually doing any kind of medium to long term planning, any kind of all of government approach, we've had no action on those things. Now we're in a situation where they're going, basically, we have to make decisions to try and send out the message or the signal to people. Don't come here. You know, you're not going to get supported. After 90 days, you might have to find somewhere to live. And we know there's an accommodation crisis. So I think all of this is down to a failure in immediate, medium term and long term planning. None of it's been backed up with any kind of evidence. None of the reasons for the decisions have been backed up with any kind of evidence. And now we're going into the recess. And I don't think that that information is going to be provided in the next hour or two. But even given all you've said, we have international asylum seekers Mm -hmm. having to sleep rough on the streets. We have concern, and it was raised in the door last week, at the increase in the numbers of people seeking international protection here who are coming from what are designated safe countries. You've seen protests right around the country from East Wall, Ross Lair, Magana, Drumahair, and it's people saying it's about resources. We don't have the resources to take any more. And I think one of the issues that, that that's raised a lot, the, the kind of issue of people coming from what are perceived to be safe countries. And I think it's important for us all to realise that even though a country might be deemed safe, it may not be safe for people in the LGBT community, for women's rights activists, for trade unionists. Uh, so everyone is assessed on a, on a case by case basis. And that is the way that it should be. Um, just saying some people are coming in from safe countries, that doesn't mean that they're safe in their country of origin. And it's something that I think has been used to kind of um, within a lot of kind of debate and narrative that ultimately is kind of an anti-immigrant kind of narrative that doesn't really help the discussion. And, you know, that in terms of, you know, pressure being put on our, our services and all of that stuff, I think we also need to stop and realise that large swathes of our public services would collapse without our immigrant community. I think it's two in every five doctors are immigrants who would build the houses, who would, you know, work in all of our services. We have almost full employment. We need more people coming in. I think we need to stop and realise how important our migrant community are. And I think, you know, this kind of when there isn't enough in terms of, um, you know, GPs, in terms of waiting lists for disability services, for all of these things, it's, it's kind of a trend that we see where it's easy to kind of essentially turn on your neighbour and blame the person, you know, next to your colleague, your friend, whoever, that they've got something that you don't. Ultimately, we should be pushing for more services, for better, you know, future-proof planning for these kind of services so we're not in this situation because we do need more people and more people working here as well. Um, one other question, one other issue before we talk about the, the Social Democrats mm. and, and you as leader. Um after the Dublin riots, have you reconsidered your position on facial recognition technology? Um, no, I think um, even my colleague Gary Gannon, speaking to him around that time, was his constituency where the riots broke out and he was saying people in his constituency are not crying out for facial recognition technology. They're crying out for a much more holistic approach to deal with this issue. And I think we all know that facial recognition te- technology isn't going to be the silver bullet that addresses it. And I think it's kind but of... But if it helps the guards, I suppose, the argument is, you know, as opposed to the guards having to spend hours and hours and hours, you know, practically Dickensian and trawling through all of this footage, that using AI, they could speed the whole process up. If that was a reality, it would be a different story. But even there was a research done on facial 
recognition technology used in London in 2019 and 81% of the time it identified the wrong person. So I just don't think that it's going to really do the job that people are hoping mm-hmm. that it will. And it seems like in reality, when the European Union are coming up with legislation on this at the moment, they're going to introduce it in about a year. That would veto anything we do here anyway. I think it's an obvious attempt for the minister to try to be seen to be doing something immediately to address this. But I don't think it's the best place to focus her efforts. And I think there's there's loads of other things we need to focus on. The other thing about the facial recognition technology is that it it's identifying of people seems to discriminate against people who aren't white in it. So that's embedding something, emboldening something into the system that we need to be moving away from. Um, And that's been proven in the research. So very difficult to support it, really, when you think of all those things. So heading into 2024, uh, and now that you've gotten your first year as leader under your belt, um, what's your party's USP heading into the local elections? Will you be standing candidates in the Euros? What's What's your plan for 24? In terms of our unique selling point, I think for me, when I decided to go into politics, it was the Social Democrats appeared to me to be a party that was less focused on the past, uh, on civil war politics, on all of those things, and was more focused on the future. And a lot of things that just really annoyed me about Irish politics, the kind of short termism and all of that stuff, uh, wasn't apparent with the party that Catherine and Roisin had set up. And I think that really appealed to me. And I think it appeals to a lot of people who feel really disengaged and unrepresented in Irish politics. And having stepped into the role as somebody who only kind of four years ago or a bit more now was one of those people that I'd, you know, watch something, you know, you discussing political things and having different politicians in, I'd be like, I just, you know, what are those politicians saying? I don't, it's, it's not something that I, I I didn't feel represented. I didn't understand what all the jargon was about, all of that stuff, I think. Or I hope that as somebody who was that person a couple, only a few years ago, I hope I'll be able to reach people who feel really disengaged and, from and Irish politics. To them in, in, in their own terms. And I hope you don't mind me putting yeah. this to you, but what I've heard politicians and other parties say about you is, yes, she she's good at leaders' questions and she comes in and she, she can do a good clip there, but they say she hasn't got the experience across the board. Are you daunted, for instance, at leaders' debates and all of that in an election campaign? I think, you know, with going into leaders' questions or going into leaders' debate, I would be absolutely so nervous. And I think there's a huge responsibility um, and, and a huge honour as well. But there's a, then a nervousness for me, absolutely, to try and do a really good job and to represent people in Cork South West well, but now also the party. But in terms of, uh, it's not because I feel like my lack of experience in politics, that's not what makes me nervous. It's all those other things and the, the responsibility of my constituents and everything. But some of the most experienced politicians in the country bankrupt it. And I just think that, you know, we need more varied experience in Irish politics. I Grew up in a small dairy farm that became unviable. Mm-hmm. I worked in agriculture for a lot of my adult life in, in varying roles. I studied it, did my master's on the importance of seed adaptation in the in the face of changing climates and food security. I worked as a waitress the whole way through school and college. I worked in disability support services as a carer in Malta for years. And I think bringing those experiences actually to politics is also valuable, yeah. as well as having... Um, and I, I'm not saying that it's not great to have loads of experience for other politicians. They do. And I think that, you know, we need a variety of, of different experience. And what I feel inside here is that often we have a lot of that experience. And I'd love to see 
more people coming forward and putting themselves forward uh, to stand for election because, you know, there is this kind of feeling when you're on the outside of it that you need a kind of special invitation or qualification that there's kind of some other people in politics. And I want to say to people, to anybody who's listening uh, to your show, please get involved, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Politics is for everybody and it impacts on you as much as it does on anyone who's inside here. Uh, And we need more diversity in our politics. Um, The Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, has spoken, hasn't he, about... uh wanting to quit politics after 50 or not wanting to still be around after 50 oh, at one stage? He did at one stage. He yeah. did. When not he anymore, he, though. <laughs> not anymore. He's 45 <laughs> now, isn't he? So do you, yeah, are you here for the long yes. haul? That's, yeah, that's the other question. Or is politics something you, no, you, you would see yourself? It's very important that the Taoiseach's age is right because yeah, he, yeah, he talks about his age and he's 44. Oh, he's 44. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I apologise and I'm happy to correct the record. Are you in it for the long haul? I think by approach to politics in general is literally one day at a time and particularly since going into this role it's like uh, for us as a party now trying to keep up with our own growth and everyone's working so hard it's amazing but I always if you if you think of all of the elections ahead all the years ahead you, I, I take it one day at a time I don't mm-hmm. kind of look that far into the future and imagine what I'll be doing because you just have to focus on the here and now and and try and okay. focus on I don't, So locals, I don't Europeans, targets? Um, in terms of numbers, I realise and wish that I should have specific targets in mind. But uh, as a newer and smaller party, we're still selecting candidates now. So not all of our candidates have been fully selected or gone through the selection process yet until we know how many candidates we're standing. I don't really have an yeah. exact kind of aim or figure in mind of the number of people I'd like to see elected. But I'm really excited about the candidates that we've selected, the other ones who are coming through the process now, people coming forward and putting themselves forward. And the Euros? Yeah, we hope to stand uh, candidates in all of the constituencies as well. But um, it's still... It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. I know if anyone watching also wants to make some donations. For a small party, how daunting is that? Very daunting. Absolutely. And like I said, it's, there's so much work to do as a small party because for one, we need to, to be growing and doing all the fundraising and giving you know more and more people the option to vote for us to, in all of the different areas. And, and that's a huge job of work. And then at the same time, my focus is really reaching people around the country, explaining to them what we stand for, what our policies are about and earning their trust ultimately um, to ask them to put their trust in us in their vote. Uh, Michal the key to everything, of course, according to Matty McGrath in the studio mm-hmm. last week, is that if you can tell the difference between a lurcher and a greyhound, he seems to think you can't. And, and this is the sole measure, he thinks, that that suggests you might have problems in rural Ireland. Yeah, Matty's kind of hyper-focus on it is interesting, uh, albeit slightly confusing. Um, obviously, I've been very vocal about funding for greyhound racing. I think the millions of euro of taxpayers' money that goes into it every day when the vast majority of people in the country when asked don't think that the state should be propping up an industry that, you know, as was found from the RT Investigates Programme actually to kill 6,000 dogs a year. They're bred to be killed. So for multiple reasons, I think that the funding could be better spent elsewhere. And, as you know, Matty's position is always, well, in rural Ireland, it's the lifeblood of communities. And, like, I have to say, I grew up in rural Ireland. <laughs> it's not the lifeblood of my community. Um, but the and fact you do that the, know the only difference real criticism, yeah, the fact that the only real criticism Matty has of me in relation to my position on greyhound racing is that he thinks I can't tell the difference between a lurcher and a greyhound, I think says it all. Um, when we tabled our motion uh, to gradually defund the sector, um, one of our members came to Leinster House that day with their rescue dog. I mean, it's an animal rights issue at the end of the day, a welfare issue, and she wanted to bring her rescue dog along. Matty 
has interpreted that as me apparently not knowing the difference between election and ground. But like I said, if that's all he's got, <laughs> I think we're doing okay. Well, we appreciate that clarification. <laughs> Good to have nice it. To have Great to have it. Yes. <laughs> nice to have that sorted. And may we wish you uh, and everyone around you a happy Christmas and indeed to all the politicians who are uh, leaving Leinster House today. There is a bit of a festive uh, air about the place. So Holly Cairns, thank you very much indeed thank for you. joining us um, on the Your Politics podcast. Uh, I'm going to move on with uh, my colleagues here now. Um and before we continue, Michal, I suppose there's no way of getting past um, what we started talking to Holly Cairns about there. And that's, you know, the change in the offer, the change in the message to refugees about coming to Ireland while this European Council meeting is going on. And what could be an historic debate there about EU support for Ukraine? Yeah. And the, the change is, is fundamental, isn't it? And it, the strategy does seem to be based on one thing and one thing alone, that this is a deterrent when you get past what the politicians were saying. And it didn't take too much. They believe that the numbers will fall as a result of these changes to the accommodation that people from Ukraine will be offered and to the welfare rates as well. I suppose there is a fear in all of this of two things. One is that there could be a large number of people coming in before the changes are introduced. That could put a strain on a system that already seems close to capacity. Uh, and the other is that people after 90 days, where would they go uh, if they are forced out of those reception centres? Will they end up homeless on the streets as the Irish Refugee Council say there is a possibility of that happening? All of that playing out against those, those huge decisions about what's happening around Ukraine, about a pair of waning support at the American level and then difficulties uh, reaching agreement at EU level as well, uh, typified by the stance of Hungary. And of course, we saw uh, the Russian Fred, President Vladimir Putin uh, on television today. It's the first time that he did this big news conference. He does Sandra and takes questions amongst them, uh, concerns about the price of eggs. But he certainly seems to believe uh, he's gaining the upper hand in this war. Yeah, and that the counteroffensive didn't go as well as yeah. Ukraine might have expected some months ago. So we're heading into the third year of the war. It's a really grim situation and people are still leaving the country in enormous numbers and that feeds into them coming to Ireland eventually as well, which is why the government has changed its offering. Big decisions at the EU today around the funding and then that row with Hungary, Viktor Orban, seems to have uh, some leverage there with the EU yeah. and that that's not a good look, I think, for any of them. Uh, and um, it's been interesting as well, looking at some of the opposition um, contributions in this debate. I mean, Holly Cairns there, you know, t taking grave issue with what the government is doing. But uh, Sinn Féin making it clear they're not in favour of open borders. Yeah, we were saying last week in the in the podcast that perhaps their, their tone is changing slightly uh, in, in terms of this issue uh, and people wondering is this something that is impacting on, on their polling numbers because we've seen slight dips uh, but it's hard to put your finger on the pulse in that regard. I think Sinn Féin would also argue that they are a party that uh, is very much in favour of immigration I mean when it came to that controversial motion last week from the rural independents in terms of immigration when it came to that yeah. vote to get it through ultimately Sinn Féin did not support that uh, And they've also expressed huge concern haven't they about the government's plan in terms of moving people on after yeah. 90 days yeah, well, because yeah. this is the big question where Lee will McDonald, anyone go? Yeah. What Mary Lou McDonald did was she <coughs> sought clarity on the government plan and that was the focus of, of her leader's questions on, on Tuesday after the decision had been made and then just raised the further question about where would people go after 90 days. So it was by leader's question standards a fairly subtle approach. Right. And they were very clear Sinn Féin in saying that actually they welcomed the move to reduce the social welfare rates and I think 
that in some ways we don't always get that clarity and that sort of welcoming response, particularly from Sinn Féin to a government decision Mm -hmm. that has been controversial. And I think that was interesting in itself. Um, why was the Kian Corla concerned about course language and horology? Horologically yeah, well, I, challenged? I, think, I think he was happy overall. He was happy at the number of the thousands and thousands of parliamentary <laughs> questions that had been raised, the huge hundreds of people who've come here as witnesses to committees. And he said it is a participatory democracy. People going over their time, though, that irked him somewhat. And there was a little rap on the knuckles for anyone who used coarse language, uh, which he said didn't reflect well, didn't reflect well on anyone. And we all know who he was talking about there, of course, don't we? Tom Springville in recent times, we presume, <laughs> we presume his spat with Danny Healy Ray. Uh, yeah, so that was his Christmas message to the yeah. departing TDs. And Kian Corla's Wash big on rest. And my mouth's out with soap over Christmas, is that it? Well, generally positive and generally urging politicians to, to take a rest from the demands of politics. Hasn't been a positive week for Robert Troy, though, has it? Yes, so uh, the Standards and Public Office Commission, they were doing their initial look at uh, the problems with his filings and they've now come back and said they are going to open a full investigation. So that is bad news for Robert Troy. This is about uh, some of his property interests. And it's it's amazing also how long this takes because this obviously flared up in the summer of 2022. He had to step down as a junior minister. It's taken a year to do that initial examination. Now they're opening a full examination. So uh, I don't think that's something that he's going to be happy about because it's going to be hanging over him the whole time also. And Indeed, there was clarity, it seems, on one point that is around the rental accommodation scheme of which he was a beneficiary uh, because he had two properties leased to Westmeath County Council and were his public statements around that time about that scheme, could that in any way have been interpreted as a conflict of interest? It seems not. It seems it's on the declarations and the non-declarations of properties and business interests uh, that this investigation, the statutory investigation now is going to is going to probe. Okay. Um, Eamon Ryan, it was a good week for him, wasn't it? Coming back from COP, he was saying, although still questions about what that deal might might ultimately, a lot of climate activists saying the deal doesn't go far enough. Phase out versus phase down and all of that. And yeah. calling on, yes. Yeah, it was it was a good week, I think, for him and Ryan. Uh, it was uh, surprising, too, to hear. So he was the, the lead for the EU. And at one point, uh, there was a signal that the EU was going to walk out, basically, because they were so unhappy with the draft text. Uh, they seem to have got agreement now. It's perhaps a step forward, some would, would acknowledge, but as Mary Robinson, Chair of the Elder, said on Morning Ireland this morning, uh, not good enough. Far more ambition is required. Yeah, she certainly um, played a, a good role there, didn't she? Um, she's still uh, she's still a woman who who's not afraid of a challenge and not afraid to speak truth to power. Uh, she said, I think, when her grandchildren, when her first grandchild was born, that she suddenly started thinking, hundred years beyond this present date yeah. and that's where her interest in, in climate came about and it, it seems to be the main issue now that she battles on. It's interesting though isn't it while, while all this stuff has been going on at COP and it's about we've got to do more we've got to do it faster we haven't been doing enough we have to wean ourselves off fossil fuels at the same time another thing that's going on in Europe and a factor that's you know predicted to be uh, quite significant potentially in the European elections looking ahead to 24 is the so-called green lashing. We saw it, for instance, in the in the Dutch elections, didn't we? Yeah, that's been playing out Take for us through the time. Dutch elections, constituency <laughs> by constituency, Tommy. How about the key marginals there where you saw the green lash? 
It is an issue, um, and it's something that I think Ursula von der Leyen has come under a lot of pressure on from her own grouping, actually. Uh, you have She's part of the EPP group. It's the largest group in the parliament, but the leader of that group in the parliament is, is a man called Manfred Weber. He, he's from Germany. He's a political rival to and Ursula And of course, he wanted that job exactly, that she got. Yes. Exactly, and, and people would say that it has been a strategy of his and the EPP others in the EPP to basically undermine her Green Deal. And we saw that play out, some would say, in terms mm-hmm. of the nature restoration law. Uh, that was one of her initiatives that she wanted to get through. Uh, and many would say that that it was very much diluted uh, in the end. It was a good answer, Tommy. That was a good <laughs> answer. Uh, Phew. <laughs> Aren't you glad you impressed me? Uh, Michal, but look I'm glad at I didn't get the Dutch elections question. No, I'm not going to give you the Dutch elections. I'm going to give you the locals and the Europeans. Make some forecasts for me. Well, I think... <laughs> we, want, we want numbers, we all know. No dodging. Well, it's under... I mean, judging by the polls, it would seem the feet of fall of Fine Gael could go into those local elections and, and do seats. That, that would... And it does seem that Sinn Féin will build further on their, on their local representation. What it means for the, the smaller parties, not yet clear. I mean, while you could say the Social Democrats and, and Labour, maybe they're close enough in some opinion polls, it would seem that the momentum is with the Social Democrats. And it does seem that the Greens are under pressure. And will there be enough strong local representatives to, to deal with that? Well, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, in the Europeans, it's all about brand. And there's a few people around here, politicians who are thinking about running, some who've declared, uh, and it is about name name recognition. But that said, some things do seem clear. Sinn Féin are going to win more uh, MEP seats next time out. And yes, but in, in another way, they've done so well, haven't they, in the opinion polls Sinn Féin for so long. So the challenge is going to be to deliver on that promise and not to have the headlines the day after the election of, you know, Sinn Féin, you know, even if they do terrifically well not quite matching that promise. Yes, and we've seen slipping in a couple of opinion polls. Um, we've also seen, I think there's been a real intention from the party to say they're not taking anything for granted, that, you know, they're going to fight mm-hmm. for every seat. But the expectation is going to be huge for them to deliver in the locals. We know that 2019 went really badly for the party in the local elections then. Uh, so they are going to be under huge pressure to bring in those seats and to be in control of a lot of councils around the country. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be the big electoral test for them and the one that just precedes the general election if a general election happens at the end of this year which I think is looking more and more likely you know end of October November 24 yes 24 yes I said this year did I, I yeah. next year. <laughs> <laughs> and of course it doesn't matter a huge amount but a, a large number of Sinn Féin councils if that does happen will have a huge say on the makeup of the next Shannon. Uh, which which is interesting in its own way. No party. The senators are talking about it. The senators are talking about it, but it, w- it would give a, a fair degree of clout, wouldn't it, in the formation of any any government if there was a if that house was yes, dominant. and in terms of your ability to pass legislation yeah. very smoothly, yeah. if you wanted to um, affect yeah. yeah a lot of change. It's going to be some year next year, um, if you think of it. Maybe this is very depressing or not, I don't know. But if you think of it, there's already huge international attention from the right in the US and the likes of Elon Musk and so on in the hate speech legislation that is due up in the new year. We have the referendum on family and carers. Already people saying, is that about removing women from the constitution? So that's the potential for that debate there on March the 8th. Then you've got the locals and the Europeans. And we know in terms, you know, we've been talking about Mm. Ukrainian refugees. We know in many communities there's a lot of concern uh, about their ability uh, to cope. 
Uh, you've got the European elections. We've been talking about the potential swing to the right there. Uh, you've got the Donald Trump. It looks certain that he'll be the Republican nominee and he could well be re-elected come next autumn. Uh, so it promises to be quite the year. Yeah, and a lot of tricky issues for the government. I think the referendum and the hate speech legislation Two things that might not be referendum. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's important too. Yeah, in June, well. yeah, we'll have that with the European Sorry, elections. We'll have to. We want full explainers <laughs> on that now. Stand-ups on that. Um, yeah, I think some tricky issues for the government. Some one that they're not really core to the program for government, or they're not necessarily things they're going to be back to the electorate with expecting to win votes. But those are two really tricky things for the next couple of months. The women in the home referendum. Everybody knows this potential here for it to become really tricky. Problems with also with a really low turnout. It's going to be a kind of a standalone uh, ballot. Well, one of the things, for instance, women are pointing out is uh, if the kids are off school, childcare. Yes, that's a difficulty. I think uh, the turnout for the children's referendum was 33%. That was about 10 years ago. And that's a really poor turnout for a constitutional mm-hmm. change. So it's not a great idea to run it all on its own. You would have thought maybe would they have not have waited for the local and European elections, but they are running the patent referendum, yes. which Michal is very excited yeah. about. Yeah. So I think they didn't want two referendums at the, the same time. Vote, isn't there? In Limerick. Limerick? Yeah. yeah, that mm-hmm. legislation went through last night, actually. And that, that was a debate around that was longer than you'd expect. Essentially, the charge from the opposition is that the mayor of Limerick's going to have absolutely no powers at all, that, that the legislation as it's brought in that's the way it is. Government defending it saying that's what the ballot, that's what was put to the people when they were asked that uh, when they voted on it. But they won't even be able to pick their own staff, it seems, the, the new mayor of Limerick. So. It's interesting given that we've been promised, mm-hmm. Leo Radker spoke a few months ago about moving forward on a Dublin mayor. Now, I don't think we're going to have that vote in time to a plebiscite vote at the time of the European elections. It doesn't look like it's going to be ready for then, but it is something the government's been kicking around as yeah. well. And Limerick is obviously the yeah. test case. Kieran O'Donnell is the minister of guiding it through, so there will be a three-year three year review on it. So if, 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 there, if there's no powers at all, perhaps it, it could be expanded in time. A three-year review would warm the cockles of your heart. Michael McNamara <laughs> said he's never seen a review deliver anything, ever. <laughs> Let's finish uh, on a more cheerful note. Um, The bust of David Trimble uh, was unveiled in Leinster House this week. So now we have John Hume and David Trimble, uh, both gracing Leinster House. Tommy, you were there? I was, yeah. This was uh, an initiative from the Oireachtas to remember both men and their commitment to peacemaking. And they're now over in LH2000, which is the new part of this building. Uh, and they sit directly opposite each other. So they're they're keeping an eye on each other. And John Hume's son, John Jr., was there last night. And he, he addressed the crowd and he spoke about how they actually they didn't always get along, the two of them. In fact, you could say that they didn't get along at all uh, at the best of times. Uh, but together they won the Nobel Peace Prize. And it was to mark that that they had the event uh, in Leinster House last night, which was well attended. Uh, many politicians from uh, across the political spectrum were there. Uh, Bertie Hearn was there uh, and he spoke about the bravery that uh, David Trimble had uh, in facing down some of the opponents mm-hmm. in his own party uh, and ultimately getting that agreement through, which was the Good Friday Agreement, which uh, still stands to this day. And of course, as we head into Christmas once again, uh, will there be a deal in Northern Ireland? It's it's kind of nearly become a, a, a regular 
Christmas event. Hasn't yeah, we, David, needed, we uh, need a Christmas Eve deal. We had the Brexit one a few years ago, so some political correspondent yeah. has to cover that, right, Michal? That's it. <laughs> I think, I think there <laughs> was Jeffrey a, Donaldson's David Trimble moment, though, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. yeah. There was a very short Fianna Fáil parliamentary party meeting last night. I think it was only around 10 minutes or so. But in the course of that, uh, Michal Martin, known for his caution, apparently did express a hope that it could all be done and agreed within a few days. And there was a bit of chatter around that last night. And actually, Mary Lou MacDonald wanted to be that, at that event last night for David Trimble, but couldn't be because she had to go up for talks in the north. Uh, so so maybe there could be a bit of momentum in the coming Yeah, and days. it looks like there'll be a big financial sweetener to, to go with it as well to yes, help get the, the deal off. So we can only keep our fingers crossed. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Just in time for Christmas. All right, Before guys. Before we go... I'm doing a piece over Christmas online talking to retiring politicians. And oh, brilliant. One of, the questions, one of the questions I'm asking them, though, who would they like to play them if there was a feature film on their time in the doll? There's some of the answers. I can't give the identities yet. Include Danny DeVito. <laughs> Or we could guess. It'd be a great game where you could guess. (laughs) Spencer Spencer Tracy, Michael Fassbender and Russell Crowe. Also, what song, what would be be the soundtrack to their time here and some of the artists that they've chosen there. I won't give the songs are Meatloaf, Blondie, The Killers uh, are among the the people. (laughs) And Queen, Queen as well, yeah. All right. Uh, Anyone else doing anything over Christmas other than taking a well-deserved break? You'll be news reading. Tommy's working Christmas Day. Voluntarily. Well done, you. We appreciate We'll all be watching, Tommy. We thank you for your service, Tommy. Best news, Tommy. Christmas yes. Day news. Yes, Best well, I'll be cooking the goose and uh, I hope everyone goose. has a lovely Christmas. Yes, I'm, I'm a goose woman for Christmas. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking with us through the year. We'll be back with you to take you through next year, ups and downs, warts and all. Uh, and until then, Beragibua, Agus Lama.